1: What's up everybody, thanks for joining us today, my name is Kent Swanson, this is the AP Laboratory, it's the Wednesday edition, which means we are doing season previews, and actually this is the last season preview we will be doing for the year. Uh, we are going to do the final three teams that we have not touched on, um, just because of how the schedule works, there's a lot of repeats because they're in the division, so we've got three teams that we're going to be looking at to close out this uh this series we've been doing on the show and here to help me do that are my dear pals. First find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane, how are we doing today?
2: Doing good. I just checked and I'm still young, still the youngest person on this podcast, <laughs> so I'm still feeling good, still feeling real vibrant. I am excited to get through all of these uh previews for the season. Unfortunately, I'm a little terrified what lies ahead. I don't see a lot of stuff in the future. I guess we're just going to have to talk about the 21, 2021 draft starting next week, right, Craig?
3: Yes, yes, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. I'm going to get into my deep, deep, deep sleepers at linebacker, the most important position to have a deep sleeper in because that's, you know, basically everybody's UDFAs. No, we're not doing that. Before we get started tonight, you guys, we found out today when we were recording this We have rolled over 1 million podcast downloads for the year. We haven't finished June yet. That's because of you guys. We love you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for contributing, listening. You guys keep this ball rolling, especially right now when we don't have a whole lot to talk about. So thank you. Please keep listening. We'll keep making them for you. The cloud was for you guys. Guys, has this
2: late, wait, 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 breaking news. Has this happened before Craig became an NBC Sports affiliate, or is this is that the reason that we have cracked one million downloads?
1: I uh, I did look into the analytics. I did look at the analytics and the splits between before Craig was mentioned in Football Morning in America and after is jarring. Maddie, I uh, nine hundred ninety nine thousand downloads. Since Craig was mentioned in Football Morning in America,
2: I mean, like, I feel like that can only just be like the iTunes downloads. I mean, like, you start looking out at all the other podcast
1: apps, and I feel like it's probably got to go through the roofs because I mean, like, NBC Sports, Craig Stout. I mean, he he became an instant celebrity overnight.
3: I hate you guys. I know. I hate you so much.
1: It's great. It's never going to get old, ever.
2: I
3: love I love all of the listeners, and I hate Kent and Matt.
2: Hey, what if I listened? <laughs> Figure that one out, Craig.
1: Uh, let's talk about week 14. The Miami Dolphins. The Chiefs travel to Miami to take on... The Miami Dolphins. What do we think of the quality of the roster, Craig?
3: I am not a big fan of the, ro- the Dolphins roster here. Um, they've tried to kind of turn it around a little bit. They've invested really heavily. I like a lot of the additions that they've made this offseason, but they're young and they're going to really need to play above and beyond what they've got. They got a lot of players on this roster. They're cast-offs from other teams that, you know, are super cast-off, not just like, you know, oh, it's free agent contract and everything like that. Like, there are guys on here that they traded for that just teams didn't want. We kind of saw it a little bit last year when they traded away Mike Fitzpatrick. There was rumors that Xavier Howard wasn't happy because of the quality of the team and what they were getting out of it. I don't see a ton of changing and it's going to rely on the entirety of the draft to make it flip around.
2: For me, this roster makeup is kind of weird because I see where Craig's coming from. It's a very young roster. And I think that there's plenty of holes that I can poke through on here, but going through what this roster looked like just last year at this time, compared to now it's showing so much improvement. Like I can very easily pick out double digit like players and even just quite a few positions that I would be excited about if I were a Dolphins fan The issue is it just has to come with some development from a lot of young guys or new additions. But if you told me that this roster, just the players not looking at the coaching staff or schedule, but this roster went 500 or even a game or two above, I actually would not be surprised because I think they have a fair amount of quality role players. Not a ton of star power at a lot of positions, but a lot of quality players that fill out the roster. I think if you put them all together with good coaching,
1: you really could get about a 500 team out of it. This is like a guilty pleasure team for me with this roster. Like it's kind of bordering on guilty pleasure territory, similar to like the Cardinals or the Bills in the past. The Bills are just good now, but I I'm very fascinated by this roster um, and this coaching staff. Frankly, uh, I Brian Flores went out and did some some surprising things with nothing last year. We'll get to the coaches in a second, but um, sneaky kind of. I'm fascinated to watch this football team because I the roster is interesting to me. Kind of the, I kinda echo Maddie's sentiments a lot. I think there are some interesting pieces. I think there's some quality players. I think there's like, you know, I think there's quality players on this roster. Maybe not superstars. But I'm fascinated to see how this team works, especially with Tua Tagovailoa in the mix. All right, what do you think about the staff? I'm just going to start here with Brian Flores. I think he's done an excellent job. I think Brian
2: Flores, just in terms of making up the team, being the head coach, being the person that kind of organizes everything, institutes a new attitude and everything going on around there, like I think he's done an excellent job. I really like Brian Flores and what he's been able to pull off here. We just talked about it a little bit like this roster went from nothing to now you have young talent. You have a defense full of players that fill multiple different positions or roles. These guys are going to move around a ton. You're not going to be able to pinpoint where any player, you know, besides your outside corners are going to be. Like, I really like that. I think that fits his style. So, just from top to bottom, when you think of a head coach and the Bill Belichick mold that's going to be the GM and the head coach, Flores has done an excellent job.
3: I'd argue that B-Flow has done the best job of any of the guys that have come out from under Belichick's wing lately because of what they said there. The, the quality of this roster was awful last year and he got the quality of the roster to play for him. Like they were actually competitive in games last year because they wanted to play for him when it appeared like they were trying to kind of sell the farm a little bit so that they could get to a Taglavoa and be able to rebuild the team with some youth like they have here, but they were able to get results out of it. That doesn't happen unless you have a strong front office and a strong coaching staff. They got Chan Gailey. They got Josh Boyer. We'll see how that really works out on the offensive and defensive side. But I think that they're going to mirror B flow and it's going to be a competitive team because of that. The
1: dolphins played themselves out of the number one pick. Yeah, because of Brian Flores flat out. They were tanking. There's no way around it. They were tanking. They traded all their players away for picks. And Brian Flores got a lot out of that football team. It's that's partially why they're a guilty pleasure because I mean, this is a better roster than what what he went five games last year. Mm -hmm. They won five games last year with not nearly the level of talent they have this year. And I'm not saying like the talent's through the roof, but I'm so fascinated in Brian Flores. I I'm just I it's it's fun to watch. It's fun to kind of see a team do what they did last year, uh, notably beating the New England Patriots and giving the Kansas City Chiefs one of the buys. Uh, but let's talk about new additions. Uh, what do you think, Craig? Give me a new addition.
3: I'm gonna go with uh, former chief from last year, guy that has a wearing. Emmanuel Agba. Well,
1: there it goes by my...
3: <laughs> listen. Emmanuel Ogba had a career year last year despite getting hurt. He looked like a completely different player. I know, you know, the typical Therese Paler thing, the contract year is undefeated. Emmanuel Ogba gets to go down there to Miami. I think we get to see him in a good rotation with a decent set of some defensive linemen here that he can rotate around with inside and outside. I think he's going to have another good year this year and I'm, I'm rooting for him. I've always been an Emmanuel Agba fan, so it was good to see him kind of go into rotation where he can do some damage.
2: I also was going to go with Emmanuel Agba. So I will go with Eric Flowers X, one of the worst busts of offensive tackle of all time to possibly redeemed offensive guard in Washington last year has now signed a big contract with the Dolphins to play left guard. I watched Eric Flowers later in the offseason from later in the year. I actually think at guard, he looked pretty good. A lot of his weaknesses he shows at tackle can be hidden a little better at guard, and he has some really dominant reps. There were some lapses with moving to a new position and just simply being Eric Flowers. There's always going to be some mental lapses, but he actually played pretty good overall, and I think he has a chance to really <clears throat> excuse me, solidify the interior of this offensive line. And I think that he's a guy that could really show up big for the Dolphins if he can figure it all out for another year and just keep showing progress.
1: Uh, a lot went right for the Miami Dolphins uh, last year, even though they lost 11 games. They tanked for two Tagovailoa, one with minimal talent, and still wound up getting Tua Tagovailoa. And that's my new addition because it's all about him. It really is that the you know the the Dolphins took a, a swing on one of the best quarterback prospects in the last few years, uh, a very solid prospect when healthy, who hurt his hip and probably would have gone first or would have been first, would have gone second, but wound up going whatever he went. What did he go? Fifth. Fifth. It was the, they had the fifth pick in the draft. Uh, to Tua. If he reaches his ceiling, he's a top ten quarterback. If he falls by the wayside due to injury, that's a shame. But um, I think there's a lot to like about him. Outstanding release. He's lethal inside fifteen yards. Uh, enough move, uh, movability, escapability um, that you know he should be able to to get out of sticky situations. Uh, if if they if they if they stick with him, if they land on him, that then they have really just. They've really accelerated their rebuild. Uh, player to watch. I get to I get to to lead this one off, and this is my chance to lament the fact that this game is not being played in Kansas City, because if it was being played in Kansas City, all of us at Arrowhead that day could do justice to Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> and give him a standing ovation. Perhaps wear some aviators and grow out our beards. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe find an old jumpsuit and wear it to the stadium to to honor Fitzmagic, the greatest man in the world, the journeyman quarterback who I dunked on for the large majority of his career, called him terrible, and who went on to go and do one of the greatest things that could ever happen to the Chiefs when he upset the New England Patriots. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't know if you're going to be playing that game. I'm not sure if Tua will be ready by then. But let me just take this opportunity in, in late June to say thank you. I have not forgotten about you. I love you. I have donated to your charity out of appreciation for what you have done for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I hope that the Chiefs bring you a ring when they go to Miami to return to the scene of the world championship that they just won.
3: That was a different kind of rant, Swanson. Just waxing poetic about him. <laughs> I, have to, I, was, I have to mix it up every now and then. It's June. I'm run, we're running out of ideas here. I was going to talk about my guy, Montre Hardage, but they cut him in April, and now he plays for the <laughs> Giants. So I'm going to go with Matt Breida. I, uh, there's not a whole lot of weapons on this Dolphins offense. Uh, their wide receivers are not great. It's Alan Hearns, Devontae Parker, and Albert Wilson, Like, that's not really scaring anybody. Mike Gasecki has a chance to kind of produce the way that people said that he was going to do that. But in reality, they're going to be kind of relying on Tua creating and Jordan Howard and Matt Breida being able to carry the load. Matt Breida, I think, has explosive play ability to go along with Tua Tagalavoa. I think we're going to see a good version of Matt Breida. And if Chan Gailey can get the most out of him here, he could be a real weapon in this offense. It doesn't have a whole lot of them. For me,
2: it's Shaq Lawson. We talked a little bit about Emmanuel Ogba earlier. Shaq Lawson is going to be one of those guys in the rotation should clearly be ahead of Ogba in the rotation to start. I want to see if he can stack up on a good year last year. Like we've talked about, contract year is undefeated. Shaq Lawson had his best season in his contract year, got paid well because of it. But it looked like things were starting to click for him. I think this is a good defensive scheme for what he does well. So I'm just excited to see how Flores and the Dolphins are able to use him. And if he can start to stack up on things that he was showing at the end of his career or end of his time with Buffalo.
1: All right. We're going to take a break. We will be back to talk about the Saints and the Falcons
0: right after this. Support for this podcast comes from Smart Water. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a SmartWater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this podcast comes from SmartWater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? SmartWater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, SmartWater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout elevate how you hydrate and pick up a smart water alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.
1: Continuing the last season preview episode we have this year, we're doing three teams this week. We just got done doing the Dolphins. Now it's time to talk about the week 15 matchup at the New Orleans Saints. Uh Craig, what do we think about the quality of this roster?
3: Boy, this is like a polar opposite from the Dolphins. There's not a ton of youth on this Saints team, but there's a lot of names. There's a lot of good players on this. They they might have one of the best offensive lines to protect. Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara is an outstanding running back. Michael Thomas catches a lot of slants, but they have Emmanuel Sanders now, so they've got a true deep threat. I think that they've got a Decent to good defense to go along with a very good offense. And they're pretty deep. They've got some guys behind these guys that are slotting in. I like some of their depth pieces a lot. So I, I really like this New Orleans Saints roster.
2: Yeah, and for me, I think the big thing that I saw going in here when I was looking at this roster is the secondary looks really good. The defensive line, the linebackers, everything looks pretty good. Then you keep circling back around. Where's the weakness? At quarterback until you see, you know, you start looking through the, you start looking through the depth and you realize that their backup and their third stringer probably should start. So that makes the roster look a lot better. But I mean, in all seriousness, I think everyone knows the Saints have a really good roster. So I'm just, I'm going to go on a mini rant Swanson here. People say this is one of the best rosters in the NFL. They say it's one of the best. I sit here and I look at it. I see two wide receivers worth mentioning. I see an aging tight end. That's okay. Alvin Kamara's coming off his lowest year. Drew Brees can't throw the ball over eight yards. Like, what about this offense? I mean, the offensive line's great, but what about this offense makes it one of the best rosters in the NFL? Like, you have a receiver that can only run slants. Emmanuel Sanders is a quality number two. Wow! Who's the third-ride right receiver? I mean, am I going to be scared of Traquan Smith? Am I going to be scared of a little Jordan Humphrey? Absolutely not. Jared Cook doesn't leave me shaking in my boots. Like, your most dynamic weapon after you add Kamara, Thomas, and Sanders is, what, Taysom Hill? Like that does nothing to scare me. This roster is not as good as people talk it up to be. It's a lot of vets that are going for one last chance. These are guys all on their last chance to win. And I think they put together a good roster. I just don't get this best in the NFL talk that everybody has of the Saints. I really don't.
3: My goodness. The Adam Troutman slander there, Maddie. My have you, goodness. Have you seen re- his testing?
2: The receiver that only runs slants. Sorry, he runs. Wow. Michael Thomas runs a lot of option routes, guys. Okay. They're not just slants. There's option routes in there, too. They all end at five yards, though.
3: It's just really easy to pile on him because of his volume. And guys, if I stop talking,
2: it's because Thomas has come here and punched me because he is very offended very easily at things said about him.
1: Oh, he must be Damon Arnett's cousin. Um. Okay. Uh, I, I don't even really want to give a take on the quality of the roster. It feels like we've already moved on. They've said all the good points. They do have one of the best offensive lines in football to protect all those quick game out routes. um, Or slants, I mean. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Quality of the staff, Maddie. Do you have a Sean Payton take you're waiting to just I
2: do. eviscerate him with? I do. I like that I get to go first on the staff because I always get to talk about the head coach, which is perfect, because I think Sean Payton is one of the most underrated and probably the second best offensive mind through these past, you know, decade to two decades of NFL football right now behind Andy Reid, what he's done with different versions of quarterbacks and I don't I mean like that includes Drew Brees you've seen you know, Drew Brees that can throw downfield you've seen aggressive Drew Brees you now have checkdown down Drew Brees The what Sean Payton has been able to do with that offense to give him easy open reads consistently to put together quality defensive players to go along with you know good offensive weapons and offense like he builds the team very well he puts Drew Brees and all these guys into such good positions that I think it inflates how good a lot of people think some of the players are for the Saints that are going to play for him and that, I mean, that's Kudos to Sean Payton for just being one of the better head coaches. And I love that he knows it. His cockiness is probably my favorite thing about Sean Payton.
3: I think that Dennis Allen doesn't get enough respect. Like everybody thinks that, you know, they are all offense and that the Saints have zero defense. And in some years under Dennis Allen, that's definitely been the case. They've actually been a lot better. The past couple of years, they've actually, they've stopped the run really well and they've gotten after the quarterback really well. They've been top five in both of those and that's under Dennis Allen. So I think he's really done a good job of turning around a little bit of the narrative about this team and about how, you know, they're just all go and no defense coming from a chief fan now with Patrick Mahomes, it, it, it's nice to see, you know, when teams aren't just all offense-like people think that the Chiefs are, you know, kind of make some strides and become a more complete team. And that's kind of why people think that they're a little more dangerous because they are a little bit more of a complete team.
1: Yeah, they, uh, they've they really rounded out that that other side of the football. Uh, really bailing out that Drew Brees guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, why are we like this? Why are we like this? Is it just because it's June? I don't know. I, I think Dennis Allen's done a fantastic job. I really do. Um, I think he's done a, a really nice job. Kind of, you know, he everybody got some Dennis, some Dennis Allen jokes off early in his career. You know, when he was the young hot shot Duke, Doogie Howser head coach that failed miserably. But I think he's actually had some solid stints as a defensive coordinator since. All right, let's talk about a new addition, Craig,
3: Zach. Bond, how he made it to the third round is still beyond me. I don't know if the NFL just decided that they didn't know where they were going to play Zach Bond. I would have been still incredibly happy taking him at 32. Like, that's a player that I want on my roster. His versatility His flexibility, they have him kind of listed as a weak side linebacker, but I bet you he's going to play some Sam as well. We're going to see Zach Bond get to play this year because this, frankly, this linebacker core is a little bit beat up and he has the flexibility to fill in with multiple spots. I'm very anxious to see Zach Bond step on the field and basically justify what we thought of him because frankly, he's a damn good player.
2: Cesar Ruiz for me, I don't think this is catching anybody's surprise. One of my favorite prospects in the entire draft class last year, he comes in, they immediately ship off a very good offensive guard and Larry Warford because they know Cesar Ruiz is going to take over as part of their starting five. I think he's excellent. He could not go to a better offensive line than what he's going here with the Saints. I mean, look at all these guys and how far they've come between from P to Eric McCoy, to Ryan Ramchick, like all these guys have improved since they got to the NFL with the Saints. He's only going to get better. He just make a strength even stronger. Like it's a great pick for them. I just think he's going to be excellent there. And I just like watching him play.
1: <sighs> there really isn't a ton of new additions to pull from. And these two guys just took the two best ones. There's another good one. Uh- look at safety. I No, I don't want your help, Matt. (laughs) Why would I want your help? It's okay, Taysom. I'm not going Taysom. I'm going with Taysom 2.0, Tommy Stevens, the seventh-round pick for the New Orleans Saints. Taysom Hill has been put on a pedestal the last few years. Sean Payton thinks that he's somehow one of the 32 best quarterbacks in football, and then he went and grabbed his future replacement, Tommy Stevens. Who might be the, he? I, he legitimately they basically are trying to duplicate what they did, what they have with Taysom Hill. They're trying to get the next Taysom Hill in the building, and it's Tommy Stevens, a good athlete and literally one of the worst quarterbacks I graded uh, this 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 uh, this off season. Uh, so maybe the the, the Saints can t- keep running those formations where they literally do not line anyone up in the backfield, and then one of Taysom Hill or Drew Brees finally motions back in under center because that is probably my favorite play in football uh, even though every time I see it it doesn't do much of anything. It's still just incredibly enjoyable um, players to watch uh, let's go with Mike Thomas because there's a little bit too much hate and slander going on for Michael Thomas here just because uh, Drew Brees trusts him in any situation in you know any any level of coverage. We're going to slander this man's name. I kind of just want to maybe acknowledge that some of us on this podcast might have had him in in their top 20 uh, in the draft when he was taken in the second round. Uh, I'm a big Mike Thomas fan. Yes, he runs a lot of the same stuff. Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to argue that, but he's really good at it, and he's really productive.
3: I'm going to go with the only right tackle that I think you could put on the same level as Mitchell Schwartz, Ryan Ramchak. Ryan Ramchak is an awesome tackle and he just blows holes wide open for Alvin Kamara. He protects Drew Brees ridiculously well on an elite offensive line He is an amazing player that shines on it. So I I think that he's really fun to watch. And I think that, you know, Chiefs fans kind of appreciating, you know, the lack of love that Mitchell Schwartz gets. Ryan Ramchek kind of has a similar lack of love there on the right side.
2: The Lane Johnson slander. So I'm gonna go with Jameis Winston. Because I really do think Drew Brees is nearing <laughs> the end of his career. Like I'm I am half joking with some of the Drew Brees slander, but on the other hand, I'm not, because watch him play. He got outplayed as a quarterback by Taysom Hill in their playoff game because he literally can't throw a football more than eight yards. Drew Brees is on the cusp of a Peyton Manning breakdown and Sean Payton is keeping him alive a little bit better than they could do in Denver for Manning, but it's coming. And I really don't believe that Taysom Hill is the answer quarterback. I don't think the saints do either. James Winston is there as long as he can see now after LASIK, like he really could get a shot. And if he gets to jump in there with this offensive line and roster, I'd like to see what he could do with some really good coaching.
1: Do you know what's going to happen, Maddie? Uh Drew Brees and Tom Brady are both both going to go full Peyton Manning breakdown. And then this team that we're about to talk about is going to sneak in and win the division. How's that for a transition? Ooh. The Atlanta Falcons come to Kansas City week 16. Uh your NFC East, or NFC South champions for 2020.
2: James is really good at predicting NFC teams, guys. Long live the 30 years. <laughs>
3: Can you go out on a limb here to say that the New Orleans Saints are going to finish where in the draft? No,
1: I'm not. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Um I just I thought it was a good transition. I thought I'd go with it and get a little no, tom joke in there. That's good. I've learned my lesson kind <laughs> of. Let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. They come to Kansas City week 16. Craig, what do you think of the quality of the roster? Man, this roster
3: is old, you guys. <laughs> it, it really is. Like you start scanning through it and it's like, wow, a lot of these guys have been in the league a long time, and then the ones that haven't, like Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst are old. <laughs> like they, they they really have a a very aged roster. Aged aged roster. I I think that the roster is still pretty decent. Matt Ryan is a severely underrated quarterback. They still have Julio Jones. Calvin Ridley is a good player. I think that they're going to be able to put together a pretty good offense with Todd Gurley, even though he's probably going to break down halfway through this season. But I also think that the defense is a little bit lacking here. And they do have Bob Sutton still as a defensive state, you know, assistant. So everybody oh, take people. that. Take your – Take your shots now on all of that stuff. They they do have some names on this, but they're kind of middling names here. So I'm not a huge... Falcons fan as far as the quality of the roster goes.
2: Craig called the Saints roster the opposite of the Dolphins, but I actually think this Falcons roster is because it's very old and not a lot of exciting players on there. Like, all of the people that are exciting, we've known they've been exciting players for years now. There's no up-and-coming exciting players, but it's all old guys. Like, none of their young players strike me as super fun to watch. Guys I'm like, the Chiefs aren't playing that I want to tune in to see – It's not a bad roster. I just don't think they've drafted exceptionally well. I think they've drafted a lot of quality players, not a ton of high-impact guys. And when you're kind of leaning on Matt Ryan to Julio Jones to carry your whole team, I think you need something a little bit more dynamic than Todd Gurley or Calvin Ridley behind them. And then just defensively, you haven't had a huge playmaker to pair with Dion Jones in a while. And you go out and get AJ Terrell. Like, I just don't know if that's the kind of guy that you're going to put there with them. So just the, the roster overall is unexcited. It's very bland.
1: Yeah. I was going to call it bland. So oh, thanks. Just right. last <laughs> could, Literally last second. beige. <laughs> they are. Be- that's your word. That's your word all the time. You use the word beige all the time. Um, yeah, I mean I I tend to agree. I mean this this is a a very homegrown team largely um and I mean they've brought in a few free agents but it's nothing like ultra exciting. Dante Fowler Jr. even like I don't consider him a splash signing. I know that sounds weird but like I think he was just kind of like he had a relatively productive year but I don't think he's like particularly good and I think they definitely overpaid. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of this roster. Uh, not at all, really. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the quality of the staff. Matthew? So, the Falcons
2: went out and brought back Dirk Cotter last year, and he's there. He is now back there. I don't think the offense looked particularly better last year with him back in the mix, But at the same time, you started to see some of the concepts come back to life that he had used before with them when he had a little bit of success earlier in his career. Some of the stuff that made him a little appealing to get that head coaching gig in Tampa. It's like, I think there's some talent there. I think that he can rekindle some of that fire he had with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones before. I think he'll find a way to use these guys to the best of their ability. Just... Like I said, similar to the roster, the coaching staff is also very bland to me as well. Like those guys are good, but no one's super exciting. They seem like they've had the same guy or recycled the same guys for about 10 years now.
3: Yeah, their defensive coordinator is Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris has been kicking around the league for a long time now, but he hasn't had a ton of higher-level jobs. He did coach the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for about three years at the end of the decade there, but he's basically been bouncing around as a wide receivers slash defensive backs coach coach. It's it's kind of one of those situations where you see guys that have a little bit of, not nepotism, but a buddy situation, like we've seen with Andy Reid in the past, where you end up keeping a guy in-house and assigning him a position just because you like having him on your staff. That's what it feels like, that he's the coordinator here. They did get better towards the second half of the year as a defensive backs coach last year, but I have a lot of questions about Raheem Morris being the defensive coordinator for the Falcons.
1: It's always inspiring when you're almost fired, uh, your entire staff is almost fired, and then they get another year. Like that is always just really inspiring, a real vote of confidence, and that's the case for Dan Quinn uh, and Thomas Dimitrov. Were almost on their on the way out because they started abysmally. They picked it up in the second half of the year. We're gonna find out pretty quick here uh, what was real and what was not uh with this roster i it could go either way it looks like nine and seven to five and eleven i mean it, it could really go either way for me all right let's talk about a new addition craig
3: i'm gonna go with the guy that maddie mentioned aj terrell uh their first round pick this year aj terrell's a guy that we liked he was Fine. Like, we would have been excited to have him as a chief. You know, he's he's a typical Clemson corner. He does a little bit of everything well. He's not exceptional at anything, but he's going to be a guy that can slot in From day one, he's a smart player. He's got good enough ball skills to really kind of run any sort of scheme that they want him to. So I think he's going to start. They don't really have a ton of guys in that secondary to really dethrone him. Maybe Kendall Sheffield, Jordan Miller. These guys aren't really inspiring names from last year. So I think AJ Terrell is going to get the first crack at it. I think he's going to start immediately.
2: I think I found the perfect new addition to define everything about this team. And that is Laquan Treadwell. I don't think you could have a player with any less hype, any lower expectations, but also knowing that he probably does belong somewhere in the league, much like the Falcons and Kent just said, they could be anywhere from a five win to like an eight, nine win team. and It's not gonna surprise anybody. That's kind of how I feel about Laquan Treadwell. I think it's a good situation for him. He goes into a good wide receiver room, maybe a little less attention. I mean, he did come from Minnesota with good wide receivers, but just a change of scenery, a quarterback that's a little bit more willing to throw him contested balls than Matt Ryan. Maybe he can finally turn it around.
1: Uh, Craig, do you know who the first pick in the 2018 draft for the Baltimore Ravens was?
3: Uh, yes, I do. I believe it was a tight end before Lamar Jackson named Hayden Hurst that also might be 48 years old now. Yeah, you've just completely okay. – yeah. No, you, you you got it exactly right. The,
1: the Baltimore Ravens believed in Hayden Hurst more than they believed in Lamar Jackson – uh, they passed on Lamar Jackson once to draft Hayden Hurst, who is already out of the building and is already going to be 27 years old next year when he plays in a game. The 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 Ravens, in all of their organizational wisdom that they have, decided to take a guy that is all. Literally, he might be done after his rookie contract. Like, there's going to be debates about whether or not he's going to be done after his rookie contract. And they've already traded him to the Atlanta Falcons. Now the reports are that despite being 37 years old already, he's actually moving really well, and Matt Ryan is a fan of his athleticism. We're going to find out if someone that age is able to run with any great level of consistency. Hayden Hurst is my new addition, and my player to watch is Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley, uh, you know this is late can't, in the year. Can
3: pick two players that have approximately half a knee between them. <laughs> well, and I think Hayden's got the half. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm curious. I'm gonna try to be serious. I was really gonna try to just like pivot from being like a kind of a jerk to this, but I'm fascinated to see if Hay- if uh, not Hayden Nurse, if if Todd Gurley is playing at this point. I think you know if he is running. This late in the year, that's a good sign for him. That's a good sign for the rest of his football career, uh, because the Chiefs play him. They play him late. They play him Week 16. If he's getting run at this juncture, that means he's held up okay. That means that the Ravens have, or the see, uh, I've got Ravens on the mind. The Falcons have trusted him, and that he's been able to continue to prove. When he's healthy, he's one of the better running backs in football. And unfortunately, there's been arthritis in his knee. Arthritis is no joke. I have arthritis. I know what it's like. It's a mess. Um, so it, I'm, I'm hoping Todd Gurley's playing in week 16 so we can see him and, and see, you know, see a version or close to the version of the guy that we were used to.
3: I'm going to go with another new addition. Uh, Marlon Davidson. We didn't talk about him in the previous thing. I liked Marlon Davidson, we saw him at the Senior Bowl. I thought he moved really well for a defensive tackle. He was playing a little bit lighter there. He showed up at the Combine and weighed a lot more. He's going to play defensive tackle for this team, and I think that they need it. They have Grady Jarrett there. Grady Jarrett is a heck of a player, but they don't have anybody kind of opposite him to kind of take some of the pass-rushing double teams away. I think we're going to see Marlon Davidson get a lot of sub-package work And I really like his first step. I like the violence that he kind of plays with with his hands. So I think he could be a successful player because he's just not going to see a ton of double teams. I think that there's going to be a lot more one-on-one opportunities. And because he's a rookie, I think especially early on in the season, we might see him develop into a contributor immediately.
2: I'm going to talk about a youth and a guy that's even younger than I am. So I know he moves incredibly well, very pliable, very quick. Hayden Hurst tied in, just came (laughs) over from the Baltimore Ravens. I really liked Hayden Hurst coming out of South Carolina. Actually, I think... Kent makes fun of his age a lot, and he's definitely an older prospect. I don't remember if Kent liked him that much as a player. I, don't, I think he was okay with him. He didn't love him, but I love yeah,
1: I like, like a 2 I
2: loved Hayden Hurst as a player. Like I think he can do a whole lot. You had to teach him how to block a little bit, and I think that was the issue that he ran into with the Ravens was that when they first got him, they tried to turn him into a traditional kind of wide tight end, and it wasn't working out like they wanted. He was banged up when Mark Andrews rolled in and just had this connection with <laughs> Lamar Jackson. He was just kind of cast out there. I think put him in this Austin Hooper role. I mean, like Austin Hooper just got paid the highest money for a tight end. Are we going to pretend that Austin Hooper is significantly better than Hayden Hurst? Absolutely not. Yes, Hayden Hurst is going to have a good year for the Falcons. He is going to produce. He is going to come in. He's going to make plays underneath after the catch. And then retire. He may be a very, very spry 27. He may be three to seven years younger than Kent. He may be 14 to 18 years younger. Than Craig Stout but he is still (laughs) ready to go he is young he is ready to make noise with Julio Jones Calvin Ridley and yes Laquan Treadwell taking all the attention away from him
1: this isn't the first time that the Falcons have acquired an aging tight end
3: it's true (laughs) just saying Tony Gonzalez was not pliable (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's probably the first time that it, not any team has required an aging tight end. I feel like every team has probably done that at some point in time in their franchise's history, but
1: nonetheless. Yeah. Well, well, Tony G said that the Falcons really made his career. Let's hope that's the case for Hayden Hurst. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back on Monday with the Mailbag Edition. We will catch you later.